podcast episode two. Samwise Day Morgan Sir Knight here with Robin. Hi. Oh, it's good to be here. I'm Jammer. I, I don't know what I was supposed to come in. Yeah, you, now, well, not now, but then. That was good. You're good. And you got Jaber. Hey, you It's okay the Chinese didn't expect the Mongols either. <laughs> I don't think anyone expected the Mongols. Yep. I don't think the Mongols even expected the Mongols. Indeed. <laughs> so, yeah, Jay Burke is a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. And they know some history. But not this well, history. I, I am a history buff. <laughs> I know next to nothing about Mongolian history, so this is going to be very informative for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Last episode, we actually covered basically the entire life and times of Genghis Khan. Do, 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 it's Genghis Khan. And basically... Well, I, actually, everyone knows from Amelia. Yeah. <laughs> and basically how he John Wicked the entirety of China and a whole chunk of Persia. All because, all because China poisoned his dad. Okay, not exactly, but it's... Too complicated for me to explain. If you're gonna do something, do it out of spite. <laughs> spite fuels me. Same. It's okay. We covered that in our last Genghis' uh, dad's death in our last podcast, and a myriad of other things. Oh, so many things. So, anyways, one the, so we're going to start here with basically like how the empire actually works. Because we've got a 14 million square mile empire to run. To put that into perspective, the last empire that got there is the British. That's kind that's of big. a lot of land. That's a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. Twice the size of Russia and then some. Oh, jeez. Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, how does this empire actually freaking work? I bet you it doesn't. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Okay, you're not actually wrong there. <laughs> but that's because it's split between four kids. Don't split your empire between uh, your kids. Carolingians all over again. <laughs> I know, right? Those Borgers and Middle Francia, they just never make sense, right? Oh, God, I hate Middle Francia. <laughs> seriously, somebody... Seriously, <laughs> audience, if you ever look up the Borgers and Middle Francia, just remember, those borders don't actually work. Oh, it was a bad idea from the what? beginning. Audience, look at a map of Europe. You see France. You see Germany. You don't see Middle France yet. You know why? For perfectly good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Gunzer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, with that in mind, we're going that. So, with that in mind, we're going to have to figure out like why the Mongol Empire was this stupid effective, and that's partly because while well, the military is really good. Horses. Well, yes, yeah, so standard mounted archery stuff, but we've also got this down to a system where the Mongols are actually split into war party units of, like, standard sizes. Which is pretty important when it comes down to military matters. And so, and so accordingly, I'm going to call this the Tumen system, kind of based off of... That didn't happen. Jeez, <laughs> uh, I'm going to kill the There we go. Okay. Okay, sorry about that. China says it didn't happen, so it didn't happen. <laughs> Indeed. 
Oh, so many things. So anyways, so I'm gonna call this the Tumid system, which is basically like Mongol for 10,000. So, so, and that means like they're organizing the Mongol army into set, descent unit numbers of X amount. So like, for example, let's say you have a group of 10 Mongol horse archers, you call that an raft which is spelled A-R-A-V-T, and I probably totally just butchered the hell out of that. <laughs> it's okay, I would have done the same thing. Fair enough. And we also, and then if you want to go up to about 100 Mongols, you get the Zoot. I kid you not, that's actually what they call it. Oh, that's pretty, uh... Like a Zoot? Yeah, like a, a you know, the... Sort of. Zoot suit, right? <laughs> Oh jeez, that's a whole other video that I'm going to mention and talk about. <laughs> Alright. And then when we go from 100 to 1000 Mongols, we get the Ming Han. Not to be confused with the Ming or Han dynasties. Yeah, that's true. Related though? Not related. No. Not that's at all. That's, that's confusing. That's very Welcome <laughs> to uh, world history. Everything's confusing. Bingo. <laughs> and then when we go from 1,000 to 10,000 Mongols, we have two men. Which, which actually is, which, which doesn't mean two men, of course. <laughs> like two men? I thought you meant many it's, men. No feet of carcass. They don't want to fall off. So yeah, so Tumen is actually spelled T-U-M-E-N, so yes, indeed, there. It's also still a unit in the Turkish army. Oh, neat. That's confusing. Well, yeah, that's mainly because like the Seb tribes, I usually like to split them into like Indo-European ethnicity groups and uh, Turk-Mongol ethnicity groups, and it gets, it's still kind of confusing from there. Thanks, Turks. That's nobody's business about the turtles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, we are, we, are giant, we, are, we are giants or something like that? Oh, <laughs> uh, they might be giants. They might be giants, oh, right. Oh, Wrong name. Giants. <laughs> that, was, that was close, that was close though. Uh, New Amsterdam, indeed. That I can't say. Or like the Duke of York liked it better that way. Oh. <laughs> Damn you right. So another part of actually how the Mongol Empire works fairly uniquely is actually this little code thing called the Yasa. Which is spelled Y-A-S-S-A and I probably butchered that too. So this was a code originally developed by Genghis Khan when he was figuring out all his stuff on the Mongolian steps before he united all the Mongols. And this is a, and this is a, and this is an, and this was originally an oral code, and, and this is basically, this is how the Mongols are going to act right now. Whatever happened, be, whatever happened before Mongol culture, we're not going to have that anymore. Okay, not quite, but basically like that. Mongol says it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. We don't need to sound like the Chinese government here, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> already made that joke. <laughs> Yo, okay, but it was different, though. And I have several other jokes in the lineup. Indeed we do. 
And and initially this was overseen by Genghis Khan himself and his stepbrother Shugutak. I actually have no idea where Shugutak came from, but apparently I, I, they were I, brothers, I, I so there you go. You do? Wait, I, what? Yes. So, Genghis Khan's mother was, was, was to be married to a different man than who was Genghis Khan's father. And it's a bit of a complicated story. Uh, the, his mother, whose name I'm blanking on... Uh, I guess, I don't know. The distract, distracted the people who were chasing, who were chasing oh, yeah, I remember uh, this one. her and her new wife. Uh, her and his new wife, and uh, allowed her husband to escape, of which she never saw him again, naturally. And she was taken, uh, she was taken captive to be married to Genghis Khan's father. Kubla Khan, I think. Yes, Kubla Khan. Um, and his dad's name is Yesuke. <laughs> never mind, then. Okay, I am mixing up too many people. I have too many people in my head, but... He was already married... The, the guy, his father was already married to a different woman at the time who had, like, four kids. So he had several half-brothers. Right. Yes. And I guess that's where they came from. Genghis Khan died from a riding accident. The, the high judge of the Yasa was taken over by his second son, Chagatai. Well, unless you believe that Chagatai is the first son, but that's a different story covered in the previous podcast. I guess you could say Genghis Khan uh, rode until he couldn't. <laughs> we did not need that Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> And this code was actually codified shortly after Genghis's death, mainly in the Mongol Uyghur script. And why is it Uyghur? Well, because there was a there was a tribe called the Uyghurs in the steppes, and there still is, although China doesn't want to say that. China won't say anything, really. No. Especially about what happened. We're going to be banned in China now. Oh no. We already are. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, at this point, might as well be. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'll come back when the government changes. Yeah, we're due for a century. The cycle, the cycle can't be going for too long. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah, the rule, the son of heaven, that lovely thing. The empire long divided must unite, the empire long divided must divide. Three kingdoms. I, I know my history. <laughs> That's like I appreciate that. Some kind of wisdom right there. Indeed. It actually comes from a romance of three kingdoms. That's a superbly old book published actually by the Ming Dynasty. Oh. Which is basically about China's three kingdoms period. Which also becomes the basis for the Dynasty Warrior Games. And uh, Total War Game. Arguably the best one they put out in about five years. I will not have any judgment on that because I haven't actually played it yet. Sounds like I should. It's, it, 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 it's, it's, they're trying to clean up their act. They're trying to clean up their act. 
They're trying their best. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, also, also, the book is a slog for modern readers. Oh, geez, they're gonna be talking about another slog for modern readers. Don't worry, I haven't gotten. Uh, don't worry, I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> but anyway, so the Asa comes up with a lot of really good rules, mainly to help keep a 14 million square mile empire up and running and not, you know, collapsing into rampant civil war. That's always nice. Although it's still going to collapse into rampant civil war. Of course, <laughs> you know, kids. Uh, fifth century. Kids these days. So. And these and these include um, complete religious freedom, innocent until proven guilty. Always share your food with your guests. No cattle plundering or wife stealing. Ah oh, damn! There goes my uh, weekend plans. <laughs> steal some cattle, steal a wife. <laughs> yeah. Don't share my food. That's mainly because well, Genghis has kind of had a lot of trauma from wife stealing. Yeah. Because, well, his dad stole his mother, and then, well, his first wife, Borte, was actually stolen by the Merkits back when he was still trying to gain some prominence as just a minor con on the steps. Everything sucked. That, that guy's life sucked. Yeah. Oh, wow, well, yeah, you're, n you're not wrong there. <laughs> so, so, we've got that. Also, the most common punishment is usually beheading. It's like As it's, it goes. <laughs> it's like it's a tutor here or something. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. <laughs> but if you are a noble, um, we snap your back because that doesn't oh. actually spill the blood. Oh. Oh. have the enemy king that you're fighting a war against submit to the great Khan before he makes peace with you. Otherwise, that great Khan might be making sure that that unsubmitted king is, um, not alive. Okay. He might be ending up with a snap back or some silver down his throat. Uh -huh. Why'd you have to mention the silver? Oh no! Oh no! That's actually from our last podcast, but that's a totally different traumatic story. Oh, what? <laughs> I have only skipped the last podcast in preparation for this, I'm sorry. That's a whole- no, uh, some dude bro got molten silver poured was... down his throat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is- still? Yeah, this is why I credit the Mongol Empire with inventing diplomatic immunity. Which it basically did, because, like, basically the idea is, like, you, 
And basically the story down there was like, Genghis was sent an ambassador down to Persia. The ambassador from Persia was supposed to go there, pick up a couple of goods, come back, talk about Persia. Not do anything else. Let's just say the ambassador from Persia did not come back. And Genghis was kind of pissed because... And he was like, um... Hey, Persian governor, what happened to my diplomat? Um, I may or may not have killed him and taken his goods. Uh, I guess millions died as a result of that. Of course. What what other course of action could be taken after a, a thing like that? Also, another big rule for those who might know a bit more about Mongol history. Than the average person, you're not. If you're in the Mongol army, you don't plunder until the Khan. Oh, I know this. And that's mainly because, well, like Genghis is trying to break the cycle of plunder or cycle of violence, whatever you want to call it in Mongolia, because basically, like this is how step warfare happened before Genghis Khan showed up. You basically show up, you maybe kill someone, but mostly you're just stealing their stuff. And that allows time for the, like stuff. and that mainly, and that mainly allows time for the people to get away and then come back and raid you and steal your stuff. So Genghis is like, I'm breaking that. So if you fight a war with me, um, there's no question you're gonna die. You're gonna get killed. You're gonna have a lot of errors in your back. You might lose your head, and your back. If you're noble, snapped in two. Ow. <laughs> yeah. Ow. Although, no, never mind. That's, that's a completely different topic. We don't need to get onto the nerves of back snapping, back snapping nerves. We don't need to talk about how you'd actually feel that, if you'd feel it at all, depending on where you're at. I don't want to think about that. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for not. Uh, thanks for. Uh, thanks for not explaining that. Says Genghis's ex bestie Jamka in the distance. Seriously, it still hurts here, and I'm dead. <laughs> that was the last podcast. <laughs> so yeah, and but another great thing about this is well, another great thing about the system of the Mongol Empire is that. You don't have to be a noble to get a job. You can just be good at doing whatever job you have, and Genghis Khan will be sure to hire you. As long as that job isn't trying to backstab him. I'm good at being annoying. <laughs> can I just... I, I... I'm sure Genghis could just say, um, you're my court jester, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Makes the same joke over and over again, but with, like, different voice inflections, so it sounds like I'm telling a different joke, but I'm not. <laughs> Good one. Like, seriously, like, seriously, Genghis has sometimes the weirdest job interviews for all his generals. Like, one time, one of his, favorite, one of his best generals, Jeb, or Jeeb, whatever, I'm butchering the pronunciation. <laughs> it's G-E-B-E, -E, and I have no idea how it works. Well, at least it's not geeky. So, anyways, Jeeb was actually... <laughs> Wait, what? I have no idea. Don't worry about it. So, anyways, so Jeeb's... 
So Jeeb's uh, so Jeeb's job uh, job interview for being um uh, for being one of Genghis's best generals. Hey, um, I was actually fighting a battle for um one of uh, Genghis Khan's enemies. I was on their side, and I shot Genghis Khan off of his horse. And what'd you get out of it? Genghis didn't kill me, and actually gave me a job. Yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> And where did this And where did this general come from, Genghis? Oh, this one? Uh yeah, he broke me out of prison way back. Yep. <laughs> yeah, if I was gonna have a super awesome uh I guess like bureaucracy. Yeah, like, group of people who do things, like, I'd want it to be the people who are good at doing things. <laughs> yeah, because, like... That the, makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah, but the thing, the, but the big thing here is that all of these guys that Genghis appoints are virtual nobodies. These guys would not have been a blip on the history books if it weren't for Genghis. So Genghis makes them important because he found that they were good at what they did. And that's kind of a really good way to ensure that your bureaucracy is super loyal to you because, well, you gave them the job, but you can also take it the hell away. Need me a man like James Cohn. <laughs> <laughs> can I just go back in time and, and, I don't know, be like, hey, I can be a wife. Um, how many do I have at this point? 20? 30? I've lost count. I will be one of the many wives. Yeah. Yeah, Genghis has a lot of wives and a lot of kids and a lot of grandkids and a lot of great-grandkids. Actually, somebody did the math on, like, how many great-great-great-great-grandkids that Genghis Khan has, and it's like... Bingo. You have a... Hey, if you're Asian, you have a 0.5% chance of being related to Genghis Khan. Ah, uh, they tracked this? Um, well, apparently the genealogists were checking all the X chromosomes of the applicants. No, no, the Y chromosomes, my bad. Yeah. No, because uh, yeah. Y chromosomes go from father to son and it never changes. Yeah, it's because we all look at those with Y chromosomes and we're just kind of like, why? <laughs> why? Do you like this? Genghis Khan was like my great 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 through that another big thing here is well the mongols have a really good messaging system not as good as i am not as good as texting not as good as telegraphs but it's still pretty darn good basically it's the world's second pony express before the actual pony express hits the town so like you have so it's like this like you have a horse traveling around like you have a horse with one rider, and they're carrying a message from, like, Beijing. And they go all the way, like, 50 miles that way, and there is a riding stop. 
And there's another horse. Horses! So he gets on another horse and continues the rest of the way. And if the rider gets too tired, great, we'll just give him a sick day and pass the message on to the next rider. It's not too hard. Yes. Yep, and also travel is super duper safe in M M Mongol Empire. You can basically wander all the way from Constantinople to Beijing without getting robbed. Really? Constantinople. Man, I really like not being robbed. Yeah, basically all you have to do is go to <laughs> is check with the customs official, and they'll hand you a bronze passport called a Paizu, I think. Yeah, Paizu. So they're uh, so they're going to add uh, so they're going to add that passport and they basically can go wherever the heck they want in the Mongol Empire. And they are safe. <laughs> if you're wondering, that's going to bleed into diplomatic immunity. So yeah, good stuff. <laughs> and now with that in mind, we're going to get to the next part of this podcast, which I'm going to call Marco. You guys are supposed to say bubonic plague! <laughs> Maybe you should have briefed us before that. I got briefed, but I'm just a blight. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyways, back to the story. I so panicked. <laughs> so yeah, so about those bronze passports. They're going to be used very famously by one very famous man from Venice, known as Marco. Okay, we were supposed to say polo that time, but okay. Oh, polo. <laughs> I thought I was just being a shit. <laughs> the Mongols Podcast will be right back after this message from our sponsor. for dates since AP U.S. history. <laughs> that was in high school, and I'm a senior in college. It was 1254. Right. <laughs> 1254? Okay. 1254. So, anyways. Uh, and, he, when he, and he lives a pretty normal life with his mom in Venice for a little while. Or does mom die? I forget. Whatever. Point is, at the age of 17, he finally meets his father and uncle. Why did it take so long? Well, his father has actually been traveling in Anatolia for a little while. So he's like in so he was like briefly in Constantinople around 1260, then got himself out of there before the Byzantines reconquered Constantinople. Why are they reconquering it? Because the yeah, Fourth Crusade is a freaking mess. <laughs> if I recall correctly, they left shortly before the Byzantines get either gouged out the eyes or killed all the Venetians in the city, so... Yep. Gouged out the eyes, definitely, that part. <laughs> so, yeah. It ain't pretty. <laughs> so, 
They so there's father Nico, so the father and uncle Nicola Maffeo they eat themselves all the way to Crimea, and then they eventually go back to Venice, and they're like, "Hey, Marco, what's up? I'm seventeen. Holy crap, you grew! Oh, right, I forgot something. Um, travel's really slow. So slow." Yeah. So, hey, uh, kid, I know it's our first time meeting, Ever. but want to go to China? Because I actually got this mission last time I was there in China with uh, Maffeo here, and we're supposed to bring back a bunch of holy scholars and some oil from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And if, and if I recall correctly, they were not able to get those scholars because there was no pope to sign off on it. Yep. Yeah, the Pope. The Pope. The medieval Pope is just... The medieval Pope is just all over the Hexap Acre. One moment he's chilling in Rome, and the next moment he's uh, screaming Deus Volt somewhere in the middle of France. And another one, he's turning the Vatican into a sex palace. Oh, you know what? That's what I would do with this or you can believe the conspiracy that there is a pope that was also a girl. But he, he, yeah, yeah, he, I, I, another pope was a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, that is actually conspiracy. Look up Pope Joe. That is just some weird ass history stuff. Like to the point where like the historical record actually describes her giving birth while she's still pope. Don't know how the hell that happened, but okay. Well, you know what? You, just... you have noticed, like, a bump a couple months before this? <laughs> like, just simply a bump. Yeah, you can just go into exile. This is also true. Go into exile. Be like, hey, I'm meditating. No one bother me. <laughs> Indeed. So, anyways, so... After years upon years of travel, because the Silk Roads kind of got complicated, and the Polos got a little lost... They finally got all the way back to Beijing, but without the scholars and without the holy oil. But that's okay, because, well, Kublai was never Christian anyway. Yeah, Kublai Khan is the, is the Khan over in, at least, Beijing. He controls, main, he controls mainly what is known as the Empire of the Great Khan. He's technically the Great Khan himself, but nobody actually listens to him beyond uh, the borders of Tibet. So he's got China, he's got Tibet, he's got Southern China, but and Mon and the Mongolian homeland, but basically not much else. I mean, that's still a lot of territory, but still, it's not much else. <laughs> and why? Well, technically speaking, the other kids decided to not obey the Great Khan. Uh, I hate it when my, my brothers and my brothers go like. Yeah, you can't do that. Eh, fuck you. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> Indeed. Me at every authority figure ever in my life. <laughs> so, the, so, the, so the big story here is that, well, Kublai is really happy to see Niccolo Maffeo, the father and uncle, and he's like, wait, who's this kid? Oh, um, says Niccolo, um, that's my son Marco. Oh my god, he's adorable. Can I point it to my bureaucracy? <laughs> um, sure? 
says Nicola. You mean by bureaucracy, you don't mean we're going to stay here for the next 17 years, right? <laughs> yes, but actually, no, you are staying here for the next 17 years. Well, yes, but actually, no. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the Polos actually stay in the Mongol Empire for about the next 17 years, and Marco's taking a lot of notes about how the Empire works, partly because he's a bureaucrat. We don't actually know what position he gets, although Marco does try to... Although Marco apparently says in his book Il Milione that he was the governor of Province X, but... Nobody's actually ever found those records, so... The historical record's up and all over the place, as usual. As usual. Yeah, didn't he say, say he saw a unicorn? Oh, yeah. He did say that in the books. That's just a rhino. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was about to, about to say... Yeah, that's another part of the records that gets kind of confusing. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of confusing about, the, about the, his book. Because everybody's like, we're expecting a description of China that includes tea, chopsticks, bookbinding, and a great wall. We you didn't find any of those things. Video I did. What? Wait, what? You watched, you watched, did you watch the same overly sarcastic production video? Uh-huh. <laughs> right morning. before this podcast started <laughs> yeah. recording, we watched it. Yep. Good video, by the way. Great video. 10 out of 10. Very convenient timing. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. Yeah. Just... Thanks, Blue. <laughs> so yeah, they. Uh, so yeah, they totally got. So they totally got them. And Marco and Marco spends the next seventeen years over in China chilling and trying to be in the government. And I think Nicola and Maffeo got jobs there too. And they're describing their adventures, and eventually they're going to describe their adventures, and it's going to be great. Hmm, what else do we have? Oh, yeah. Eventually, um, no, oh, and one of the other weird stories around there is that uh, Kublai, that kind of casts some doubt on the book's authenticity, is that um, Marco Polo specifically says, I was at the siege of the city of Xiangyang, and me, my father and uncle, got to design siege engines for that. Um, about that. That city was uh, taken just before you got to China. And we historians have actually checked that, and we know that Muslims are designing those siege engines. Specifically, the counterweight trebuchet. Trebuchet. Ooh, I don't know what that word means, but woo. So basically, we have a giant seesaw. Oh, big move. So like the so basically the trebuchet is like this superbly giant seesaw that has a sling with a stone on one end, and then there's a giant counterweight on the other end, usually stone, earth, or in the case of the English, a whole bunch of lead. Uh. Whatever, whatever launches your trebuchets. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, you you hold it back until the right time, and then you let the counterweight do the rest of the work, and then it basically sends a giant stone over to the castle wall. Oh, so it's like not quite cool enough catapults. No, they're okay, way cooler than catapults. They're way bigger. 
like twice the size and way more powerful. Okay, but like catapults are cool, man. Okay, fair enough, they are. <laughs> <laughs> like they're cool. <laughs> so yeah, the, so we so we have the trebuchets there, and so and after seventeen years, the Kublai is like, fine, I'll finally let you guys go home. Say hello to me later, right? <laughs> yeah, Marco doesn't actually come back. But that's because of a couple of other things that kind of get really complicated. So, but thankfully their, but thankfully their route does not get complicated because they actually travel by the sea this time. They actually take a boat. Or ship, whatever you want to say. Oh. Yeah, and they're traveling with a princess who's supposed to be, like, married, I think? Yeah, she's supposed to be married off to this... She's a princess, and she's supposed to be married off to some guy in Persia. Oh, did... Did she write something down? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, I think that... Yeah, so, anyway, so the princess gets married in Persia, and I guess, well, she's a princess in Persia now. And... Yeah. Um, Marco, Nicolo, and Maffeo go home. But not everything is well at home. Say it with me now. The Genoese are fucking everything. Oh, um. That's actually exactly what's happening. Yeah, big mood. That's, you know, that is the biggest mood. So General and Venice go, so General and Venice go to war. And apparently Marco decides, well... Hey, Venice is my home, and I'm gonna fight for it. So I'm making a galley with a trebuchet, or rather, buying one. But you get the point. Yep, same difference, I guess. <laughs> he now owns a, a bigger catapult. Yeah. So, but apparently, Polo uh, gets captured by the Genoese. And while he's languishing in his prison cell, he meets a lucky writer by the name Rusticello da Pisa. Arthurian fellow, one could say. Oh, that's putting it mildly. So basically, like, for the next few years, while Polo's languishing in his prison cell, he actually recounts to Rusticello da Pisa, his cellmate, about his adventures in China. And Rusticello's like, this is really cool. Um, hey, Marco. Do you need a writer? Because I can totally do this stuff. What's the last thing you wrote? This thing about King Arthur? Okay, you're hired. <laughs> well, it's not like I had any other job applicants, history buffs. One, one of the great ironies of history. <laughs> An Arthurian fan fiction writer helping Marco Polo write his work. So, after a lot of writing... About two years worth of that. Marco Polo finally, Marco Polo and Rusticello finally finished their book called Il Milione and published it around 1300. And everybody in Europe is like, either that book is really cool and the Mongol Empire is sick, or this book is heresy. Destroy it. Burn the books, except please don't burn the books. Thank you. <laughs> Leave the books alone. Thank you. <laughs> so. Even though probably a lot of you can't read. So the. So. 
of the Il Milion stuff. Yeah, my great, yeah, my great uncle apparently gave it to my godfather ages ago. Awesome stuff. Although it's really hard to read because, well, basically, like the whole thing, it's like, uh, here's a city, here's the, here's its king, here's all the stuff they do in said city, including how the Tibetans have sex. But here goes. Oh. Jeez. That's um way too many details, Marco. Say I'll, I'll read those details. I will. <laughs> I will. I will. I guess I'm only speaking for myself. <laughs> I wanna know how the Tibetans do the do. <laughs> so anyway, so Marco does that and so the so the book gets published and there's a lot of stuff there and everybody's like it's either great or it's heresy and finally uh, and finally, a priest comes to Marco's funeral around like 1317 or something like that. I actually forget. My point is, Marco's on his deathbed, he's very old, and the priest is there, and the priest is like, Please tell me your book was fake. And Marco, just casually sipping his tea, is like, As he dies. <laughs> As he dies. Says his last words. I haven't told you half of what I saw. Big mo- you know what? Seriously, some of the best last words in history. Spite. <laughs> spite. This goes back to the beginning. We've come full circle, spite. So, with that in mind, so that leads to a lot of people speculating on whether Marco Polo even existed, much less whether he went to China, and whether all his stuff actually- all the stuff he said actually happened. So we, so we found Chinese and Persian records of him traveling. We've also found his will. Oh, neat. Which specifically says, "Hey, I have this um, slave that I got back when I was in the Mongol Empire. Um, he is to be freed." Yes. And also another mm, conversation about how we, how we're pretty sure that he went to China. Um, he apparently had a vague description of Japan while he was there. Oh. Notoriously vague, because keep in mind the Mongols weren't going to set foot in Japan. Oh, no, they were... No, that was two typhoons, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we're going to invade! Okay, says Japan. And then Mother Nature's like, did somebody say invade Japan? Yes, said the Mongols. Okay, I just sunk your ships with a giant outer season typhoon. No one can invade Japan yet. The Americas haven't been discovered. <laughs> this is no true. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll just nuke them into pacifism later, said um, the US. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rice cookers now. Rice cookers in 1945. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, I had to. <laughs> This is why you don't like white people. Oh, there are so many other reasons. But that's another <laughs> podcast. That's another podcast. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons. This is why we've been banned in Japan. 
Oh. <laughs> Wait, Japan has internet censorship since when? Oh, never mind, I don't want to know. <laughs> so, Polo, so, oh, so Polo, so another big thing is like, so like one of the big disputes is like, so like, wait, why is there no T-chopsticks foot binding or Great Wall? Actually, says historians, we can explain the Great Wall thing because, um... It wasn't that great. Uh, yeah. It wasn't, because you see, here's the thing. The Great Wall isn't exactly existing at this point. What happened there? Okay, so the, the, so the original Great Wall was built by the first emperor, and it was kept up sort of by the Han Dynasty, but everybody else kind of found that it was superbly expensive. So everybody was like, nope, we're not building that. And how long before Marco Polo was the building of the first kind of sucky wall? Um, try 210s BC. Wow, that's a long time ago. That's a very, very long time that's ago. A very, very long time ago. Okay, fair enough. So, yeah, the wall is either not there or in very terrible shape. And the wall we see of today is mostly a uh, Ming Dynasty creation. Just like, um, like, not like the current Great Wall, but like the old Great Wall. I was just. I mean, like, to be fair, the new Great Wall is also a speed bump. I mean, like, it doesn't even, I mean, like, for the record, it doesn't actually stop any Mongol raids, and the Manchu just get let through there in the 1600s, so. There you go, not doing your job again, Great Wall. You had one job, dude. <laughs> one job, and you fail at it spectacularly. We are now yelling at, we've come to the point where we're yelling at inanimate objects. <laughs> oh, we've been yelling at inanimate objects all day. It's, it's... See, that's what I'm good at. Like, hey, Genghis Khan, do you need someone to yell at inanimate objects all day? <laughs> Great, I'll just make you my gesture and you can do that. <laughs> yeah, so we've got all that. And another thing is what I'm going to call here basically um, European history's version of Infinity War. Because... Upon millions, uh, alongside millions upon millions of deaths in battle, you can also kind of blame the Mongols for the first major outbreak of bubonic plague in like six centuries. Thanks, Mongols. Gee, thanks. Yeah. If you're wondering about the one that happened six centuries ago, that was actually the first outbreak, and that was during Justinian's time over in Constantinople. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, and apparently the Mongols are even so. Basically, apparently, if one guy's to be believed, I forget the guy's name. The Mongols are actually to be directly blamed for the bubonic plague because they're actually besieging a port called Kaffa in the Crimea, which is actually defended by a bunch of Genoese crossbowmen. And there are also there are also some Genoese merchants in there. But eventually the city was taken, and the Genoese uh, yeeted themselves out of Kaffa, and all the way back to Europe. And they brought the plague with them. Because you see, the Mongols actually had a plague outbreak while they were doing the siege, and one of the big reasons why they were eventually able to take the city was that they actually took the heads of the soldiers that died during the plague, and 
put them in catapults, and then... Flung them across the wall. Just, yay! Bingo! <laughs> this bitch diseased. Yay! <laughs> so, we've... So, we've got... Uh, so we've got so we've got a plague infested Kaffa, which eventually leads to a bunch of Genoese plague infested Genoese coming home to do some plague infesting Europe. But there is a bit of a complication with that story. That story doesn't actually show up until about a century after the outbreak of bubonic plague. So we have no idea why it actually happened, <laughs> aside from maybe Mongols. So, because you see, the Mongols actually opened up some trade routes. The Silk Roads, that famous trade route, had actually been in defunct position for centuries, right up until Genghis was like, yeah, we're gonna make it happen again. So, with increased communication came increased amounts of disease outbreaks. Uh, I do love disease outbreaks. Yeah. So, it basically goes all over Europe, minus a very small part of Poland. And kills about like space. <laughs> Poland. Poland, like like that one part of Poland is just like watching the world burn around them. It's like this is fine. <laughs> this is fine. This, this is, is fine. fine. <laughs> We're fine. And then it's like, uh, okay, so the plague is over. It's thirteen fifty something. What happened to our population? The plague happened. <laughs> like, seriously, like, 25, like, this is no joke, like, 25 million people died from the plague that's... in Europe. And that's just in Europe, because keep in mind, China had some outbreaks, the Mongols had their own outbreaks, everybody was getting the plague. Well, except for Egypt, because it was not having any Mongols in Egypt. Mongols weren't allowed in Egypt. For a very good reason, that will be covered in a later podcast. So, yeah. So, a bunch of people die in the plague. And, surprisingly enough, if you technically check the history books, that was sort of a good thing? Okay. Why? I'll explain. It's all about the feudal system. Because oh. Jeez. So like you have peasants at the t peasants at the bottom and a whole bunch of, um, and the king at the top with a bunch of nobles and clergymen in between. Yeah. And the thing is, since we chopped Europe's population in half, that means there's about a, about half as many nobles and half as many peasants and half as many clergymen and so on. Mm. And that means that te yes, technically the peasants have about have technically more workload but they also have like less uh, but they also have like less people to worry about so they're like hey nobles since so many of us died um could we have some rights <laughs> and the nobles are rights like fine just don't kill us or anything peasants laugh in french revolution 400 years later oh my gosh <laughs> Uh, hey guys, we have rights. In 400 years, let's revolt against the French. Oh boy, that's a great idea. What's that gonna do? Guillotine some kings. Well, I mean, like, what's the... Because the French Revolution kind of was a sucky thing. 
Well, we first guillotined the king, then guillotined the queen, let the son die of tuberculosis, let their son only son die of tuberculosis, and then we let Napoleon take over everything. Oh, God, Napoleon. <laughs> Honey, you weren't smart. <laughs> like, you were smart, but you weren't smart. I'm going to need to eventually have a podcast about Napoleon, but that's going to have to be separate from the Mongols for obvious reasons. Like, I'm shorter uh, than you, and I'm also them. smarter than you. There are too many podcasts. Indeed. <clears throat> some of them are good, and some of them suck. I've listened to some very sucky podcasts in my life. One of them is not, not the second podcast. It's Nightmare, Nightmare, which is out there. <laughs> I will not have well, this explained to me. I said to well, I know. <laughs> I would say that's the the worst podcast out there. Uh, no, 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 I'm saying it's the greatest. Oh, okay, okay, I was about to say, well, I mean, that's an interesting opinion, Gee, considering. How do we know each other? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of why I was like, what? For the, for the, the audience, uh, Jay Burke and I had met, um, through a Welcome to Night Vale roleplay group, so, just... Fun facts about us that you don't care about. Indeed. <laughs> so we've got a bunch of people dying from the plague. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's not like the Mongol Empire is in great shape either. What do you mean? Um, we kind of split it between the kids. Oh god, the kids! <laughs> Kublai Khan is like when Genghis is like distant grandkids, and it's gonna be a one heck of a mess from there, but that's a whole other podcast. So it's like it split, and then it was okay, and then it split again, and then it wasn't. Yeah. I'm going to have to talk a lot about the splitting there. Oh my god. That's gonna be probably like next podcast, so oh anyway, gosh. so I guess, well, we've probably finally come to the end of Mongols podcast to episode 2 Marco bubonic Whoa. plague oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow I screwed that we should have, uh, yeah we should have done that but oh well wait what anyways it, episode 2 is called Marco bubonic plague bubonic plague <laughs> I don't know what's happening anymore so and another bit, so another thing, one of, the, one of the other unofficial things I do on this podcast as well, I recommend books. So I'm recommending if you can find a copy of Marco Polo's Il Milione, read it. Your brain will thank you. No, it won't, but sure. <laughs> um, Columbus will also thank you because he's going to use that to um, genocide things. Oh, gosh. You, uh, I will. Get a time machine and fight people. <laughs> what are they gonna do? A five foot two, hundred pound white girl wandering around with like a butter knife, being like, shut up! Don't burn the library of Alexandria, or I'll stab you. Or don't kill the Native Americans. Don't kill the Native Americans. So, yep, and so this has been the Mongols Podcast. You can find me, Sam J. More Concern, on my YouTube channel. You can find Robin wherever you can find Biz Juby. Um, it's pronounced Bijuby. <laughs> look, my pronunciation is about as good as John Green's. Oh, big mood. It's B-I-Z-J-U-B-E. Sometimes there's an 811 at the end. Sometimes there isn't. But either way, it's me.
And, um, Jaybert? Um, just look for, uh, Jaybert on the internet. You cannot find me anywhere. No, don't do that. You can't find don't do that. Don't do that. Jaybird doesn't technically exist in this universe. I value my privacy as a non-existent being. Indeed, indeed. So Jaybird just does not exist. All right. So, with that in mind, you haven't actually been talking to anyone this whole time. Oh, what? Hallucinating? Have I been hallucinating? What have I been smoking here? There's just like a couple like blank spaces in the podcast, and then we laugh and respond. <laughs> Indeed. Oh my gosh. But anyways, this has been the Mongols Podcast, Marco, Bubonic Plague, and bye. <laughs>